0: Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside
2: the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Kyle Moffitt. He is CEO and co-founder of STEM Cultivation. We're going to talk to him about really kind of the whole backstory of what it takes to put together a grow, all the kind of intricate pieces that need to go in it, the supply chain uh, dependencies, the complications of that, and some of the work they've done to really rethink how people build out, you know, find the resources, the materials, the things they need to do a grow. They've got some interesting technology some different ideas, different approaches. So I'm excited about this, not only because I love talking about the cultivation side, because it is so fascinating and so integral to the cannabis industry, but also really talking with companies that are innovating in this space and coming up with different ways, different philosophies, different approaches, different ideas. So uh, this is going to be a fun conversation. And with that, Kyle, welcome to the program.
3: Thanks, Bruce. Uh, Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, it's a pleasure. I always love kind of getting the backstory, you know, how people got into cannabis. There's there's always a story there, I find. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start there we can... we can talk a little bit about what you're doing with STEM, but what was the background? How did you how did you get into cannabis? How did you get into this kind of cultivation side of the business?
3: Yeah. So going way back, um, I grew up on a farm in Ohio. And so I've always kind of had this farm bent, um, agricultural bent. And then I went and studied architecture in school and um, and then promptly didn't do anything with that uh, when <laughs> I left school yep. and I went into software sales for the next 20 years or so. But I've always been uh, uh, you know, a long time uh, cannabis user and when when uh, medical uh, became legal in Massachusetts, <clears throat> where I live, mm-hmm. uh, I became a patient. And the first couple experiences when I went into a dispensary were just awful. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, after you get over the novelty of like, I'm buying weed legally, finally, you know, um, you, you know, you, you, you stop, you know, you become a consumer again. You're like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Why am I paying so much? And, and why am I, you know, waiting in line? And, and why is it such a horrible experience, right? You know, if, if you were, um, you know, going to a uh, uh, Walgreens or CVS or a pharma, normal pharmacy and had that experience, it'd be unacceptable. And I was looking around and particularly in Massachusetts, it's a little bit wonky, the rollout. But I saw where, uh, you know, the dispensaries I was going to and and they were focused on the wrong things. They were very proud of their architecture, for instance, how big their facilities were, how much money they spent on them, all these sort of things. And I'm like, I don't care about any of those things. All I know is, is that whatever you spent, whoever's money you Mm (laughs) spent to do all that stuff. I'm paying for it right now, yeah. it, you know, and that so that was that kind of stuck in my craw. And the other thing was kind of just seeing that how the users were treated, how the consumers were treated. Right. These are patients. Right. This isn't like wink, wink, haha ha. You're you know, it's medical. No, these you know, this is really something yeah. that helps people. It's therapeutic. Yeah. And just the way they were treated, it was just, you know, the long lines and and, you know, It just it didn't make any sense to me and I thought I can do better than this right I don't all I know is is that I like cannabis but I know I can do better than this yeah and so I sat down and started looking about what would it take to actually open up a dispensary Mm -hmm. and in Massachusetts at the time you had to be vertically integrated which means you had to you couldn't just be a dispensary you had to own production and and distribution or not distribution but but manufacturing yeah yeah and so I was like okay well, then I started breaking that down a little bit. And you know, I don't know much about retail and I don't know much about processing manufacturing, and I really don't know much about production. However, in my previous um lives and software, I had worked with a lot of oil and gas companies. Ah, interesting. Yeah. And I got to understand their supply chain. And in particular, I was working with the upstream players. And upstream is are the people that are actually pulling things out of the ground, pulling mm-hmm. oil or natural gas out of the ground. And I got to understand that business a little bit. And I noticed that there were some very strong parallels with cannabis uh, supply chain, right? It's it's basically a three, a three-tier supply chain. You have uh, producers, you have and so I was like, well, what are the – and so I I kind of th- started to think about my old clients and like what how do they run their businesses? And the thing what always fascinated about, about in oil and gas is that the upstream Guys are super efficient. Like that's that's their whole ball game. Like they there's nothing else to it, right? Mm-hmm. Every single dollar that they spend, they have to get it at least back. And if they can't, they won't spend it. Um, and that is you, you see that like even uh, now like the 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 oil markets yeah. have absolutely cratered. Yeah. Well, all that me all that means basically is there's a bunch of of dormant wells out there right no. it's not that there isn't oil to be to be to, to be dug out of the ground oh, yeah it's just it's, not worth it. it's, it's not economically viable yeah. right so th- so these things are going to sit there these wells are going to sit there until if and until the price goes above what it is that be pr- that would be um, uh, profitable to to extract mm-hmm. so i thought well this is very similar to cannabis in the sense that if you're a producer and you know you're 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 making it for for whatever you're making it for you're making the bet That the wholesale price will never drop below your production costs. Mm, Interesting, yeah, yeah, it's a good point. And right, and if it does, then you're going to be dormant, right? But in this case, it's not going to be a well; it's going to be your entire business, right? So that struck me as as something that people really weren't paying attention to, and and I guess why should they, right? When you're early in a market, you know the prices are high. When you're a producer, you know three, four thousand dollars a pound wholesale. Who cares? Right. You can be as inefficient as you wanted to and still kill it. Right. But what we see is, is that, you know, over time, this is going to be a more of a commodities based sale, not in the sense that it's it's every single thing that you're making is going to be the same as everybody else. But just in the sense that there's going, that, that there's going to be a, a demand there, mm-hmm. right? There's always going to be demand there. And the question is, is, it, is there going to be a supply there, right? Is there going to be a, a, a robust enough supply uh, and a, to, to affect these market conditions that we see in other commodities? And, and what I noticed was is that, you know, as time goes on, of course, these prices come down. But I'm thinking to myself, well, these people that spent millions of dollars on infrastructure – Do they even know where their break-even is with regards to the market price? Yeah. Right? And they don't for the most part. (laughs) Basically, no. (laughs) Right? And, and and, you know, when I was doing some market research, you know, when I was kind of started thinking about doing this, you know, I was talking to producers and I said, hey, what's your production cost? Like, what's your break-even per pound? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, how do you know when you're gonna be you know, how do you know when, when you're gonna be close to the edge, you know, when the prices come down? They're like, what prices coming down? What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, all right, you know, so there was clearly some a disconnect there between how this nascent market of mm-hmm. cannabis was coming online, vis-a-vis, all the other kind of parallel type supply chain CPG uh, type markets, they've already figured the model out. Right. This mm-hmm. is, you know, and then cannabis comes along, and it almost seems like I ah, will reinvent the wheel. <laughs> what? What is all yeah, these, these rules running? don't apply? Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. And and so you know, of course, it's very predictable at that point, right? As markets become more mature and competition comes more competition comes online these guys go belly up right and 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 it's it's a, it's a bloodbath and what happens okay so that's all well and good and and you know the market kind of finds its own level the problem here though is that it's ripe for the type of conditions where monopolies duopolies oligopolies whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, just a few handful of players in every market ends up dominating yeah because they can take a loss leader role right they can yeah. they can afford to lose some money and let everything shake itself out you got a lot of distressed assets you can gobble up a lot of uh, you know do a lot of consolidation sure. and next thing you know you have five or six major players in a marketplace that are basically dictating controlling costs, prices yeah exact costs variety and supply and you know that's great if you're one of those people <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> but what about Right. But what about all the other unwashed masses? And most importantly, what about the consumer, the patient? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Aren't we doing this in all the rush for the, the green rush and all this stuff like this? Somewhere along the line, patients suffer. Yeah. And that was I thought was also being overlooked. And and I go back to my old problem, which was I'm having a horrible experience as a patient. So short story long, I decided to think about production first and foremost as I'm doing this analysis. Um, to see if I can, you know, what it would take to get a dispensary license. And so the first thing, so now all of a sudden I'm thinking uh, about production and I'm and now my architecture part yeah. comes in. Right. Yeah. And I start looking at, well, how do people do this? And I'm and not forget about the outdoor market. I'm just talking about indoor right now. And and I looked at it, I'm like every single picture and every time I visited, you know, once in a while, I'd be able to visit a place or, you know, just do some research. And all I saw were the same thing. Big, giant, huge volumes of space with and they're growing plants. Yeah. And I look at this and I'm thinking this isn't right because. Volume. You know, if you if you take a the vast majority of these spaces, we're not producing revenue. It's empty space.
2: Interesting. Yeah, they they built out these huge facilities, but they're actual kind of cultivation square footage was quite low.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So you have like 95% cost, right? Cuz empty space is cost yeah. in this game, right? And and less than 5% revenue generation. If you just look if you just kind of looked at a building and at an indoor facility through that lens, that kind of abstract math lens, mm-hmm. it becomes pretty clear right off the bat that hey, these guys they're not long for this world doing this. Because eventually the prices are just going to be, they're going to be underwater. Mm-hmm. And so, and I saw that over and over and over again. And then I would talk to subcontractors, people that I knew that electricians, plumbers, things like that, that mm-hmm. were also, also, it was great times for them because they're, they're getting, you yeah, know, exactly. Huge, huge facilities, lots of money. Exactly. And I asked them, you know, who's designing these things, these buildings? And I go, it's architects. I'm like, architects, well, what do they know from indoor growing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, they, they've been doing strip malls. They've been doing, you know, they've, they've yeah. been doing McDonald's. What do they know about any of this stuff? So what ha- And then I thought, okay, well, now here's the other problem is that you have these people, these, these business people, they are flush with cash. This is back in two, three, four years ago, mm-hmm. flush with cash, right? And they don't know any better. They're just spending, right? So you end up having these huge monuments to ego, basically, but they're not meant to be indoor, you know, efficient indoor cultivation. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about that and and I was like, well, I guess the first thing I'd want to do is would it be possible to work in three dimensions, right? So I can start to reduce the amount of empty space relative to the amount of canopy, amount of revenue that you're generating. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking around for that and thinking about ideas and stuff like that. And I came upon living walls, living walls, plants growing vertically, right in a mm-hmm. in a vertical plane. Yep. And I'm thinking, and all I can, and I was like, "That's a really, that's clever." Who's using that? And I look, and it's mainly decorative. You know, you go, you see it. It's it's not used in commercial agriculture. Okay. certainly not in cannabis. Mm-hmm. Relatively speaking, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's because it won't work. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know any better. And so I. Me and my co-founder at the time, we came up with a, a little rig to to test our model. And it was just basically grow towers that were hydroponic and, and recirculating. And we sucked these plants out the side of towers. And I thought, well, let's see what happens, you know. Well, I should say before we did that, we actually did a control Grow, uh, horizontal, a traditional horizontal c- control grow, with the yep. same cultivar and the same lighting and all that sort. Of. I wanted to get it, you know, so we got our baseline in terms of production and efficiency and things like that. And then we built this rig and put it in the same footprint, right? But okay. just went up instead of instead of horizontal, we just went up. So it's like an A-B
2: test. You basically just tested, you know, traditional grow methods versus the vertical vertical cultivation method.
3: Exactly. Yeah. We tried to control for every variable except for physical orientation, mm-hmm. right? So everything was the same except one was horizontal, and one was vertical. The first grow we did in that in that configuration, same number of plants, everything, was six times more productive in the same footprint than our control. And I thought, well, this is crazy. And who cares about the dispensaries? I'm just gonna focus on this. And so we, you know, founded uh, STEM very soon after that. So you know, we have this concept of of vertical growing. Mm-hmm. And then the next question was, okay, how do you do that at a production level scale? Yeah. Right? yeah and exactly. so the idea exactly. So the idea was is that if we could figure that out. If we could figure out how to put living walls, pack living walls in three, you know, and really fill a volume of space, mm-hmm. then you could just repeat that volume of space over and over and over again. We call it, you know, it's a widget. We, it's a, it's, we call it a stem box. But, it, yeah. you know, in the microeconomic, you know, it's, it's a widget that yeah. you manufacture. And that widget always costs the same to manufacture, always costs the same to deliver and install. And always, uh, you know, it has predictable level of production and operating expense and all this sort of thing. So I was like, okay, well, let's figure out the widget. And then just a lot of design, a lot of, of trial and error, as, as you do when you're at that stage. And we came up with this thing called the stem box. And it's 30 feet long by 11 feet wide by 11 feet high. And it holds up to 480 plants. And we built this thing. And then we were lucky enough to grow her out in Nevada Mm -hmm. that you know saw some pictures online or some we were on instagram or some we were just because we hadn't grown anything full scale in it yet we weren't allowed to you know yeah we didn't have a license but we you know we had a lot of videos and stuff of of what it looked like inside and the water going and everything and these guys were like hey that looks pretty cool why don't you we'll give you a a, a shot here so we went out and 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 did that and grew for these guys and our first grow we were expecting, based on the extrapolations of our test grows, we'd done like mm-hmm. six or seven test grows of small scale, and we extrapolated to that from that um, what we thought we would get from all these from the from the large scale, from production scale, and we thought we'd get fifty pounds. Okay. Uh, the, our customer thought we'd get thirty. We got ninety
2: three. <laughs> so three times what they expected.
3: <laughs> right. And so, and by way of comparison, this customer actually used in some of their rooms. They used uh, grow pods. They used uh, shipping containers. Um, mm-hmm. And in the equivalent footprint in their shipping containers, they are pulling ten pounds. So ten, oh, so oh, oh, nine times,
2: nine times the. This is all per square foot comparable square footage correct exactly
3: yeah. exactly yeah. so you know so when you know when you looked at it from all the efficiency metrics that we were interested in you know grams per square foot grams per watt you know all these things it was just insane how much more you know how more how much more efficient we were I mean it was a step function beyond what anything yeah. that we had seen online a, a perfect example would be the um, they don't use it very often anymore but it used to be the three pounds per light that was the gold standard, yeah. right? Yeah. If you get through, we got 3.9 or something. Yeah. Right. We use the same, we're not using any special lights or anything like that, but what we are doing, and this is where, this is the fun part is that plants are going to plant. That's our saying, right? Mm-hmm. You, you put plants out there, they're going to do their thing, right? The question is, is what conditions are you putting them in to which they they, they will react? Yeah. And when you, as it turns out, when you orient plants in this fashion, a lot of cool things happen from a plant physiology standpoint that we didn't predict. We had no idea. Yeah. But you know, all, you know, plants just first of all, they have a lot more space to grow because they're because they're not encumbered by, you know, they, they basically when they grow out the side, they're growing parallel to their light source, not perpendicular to the light source. And this mm. is all kind of wonky and yeah. but we are stem cultivation, science, technology, engineering, yeah. and math. I mean, there's a reason why we're called that, right? Yeah. So, you know, you'll plant, there's a lot more surface area for plants to get light. There's a lot less canopy because they can't grow, you know, they're, they're growing parallel to their uh-huh. life source as opposed, to, you know, there's all these kind of ancillary benefits from a, from a botany standpoint that just, um, we realized that this is actually the way you should do it. It's not a novelty. It's, we're not doing it for the sake of it. Yeah. It actually allows for these plants to grow and maximize their genetic capacity in terms of, of production. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that, that was the, that was the, the. That brings us basically up to this point. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, and, and I'm fascinated by the whole kind of innovation process and I, I I get the sense that while you expected some of the or you anticipated or hypothesized, you know, some of the benefits, that there was a bunch of benefits that you didn't expect that turned out to be true just as you started experimenting with this. I guess as you've kind of evolved, evolved your thinking, what is there anything that you kind of hoped to happen that didn't happen or or anything that didn't turn out or, or that you had to kind of adjust as you went. I mean, it sounds right well, now like it was all, "Hey, everything just worked out well." And I know that's not.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I glossed over the, <laughs> the gallons of tears. Yeah, exactly. And, and Where were the hiccups? <laughs> right, exactly. I think the biggest one was, you know, we we had, you know, started thinking that it was a a shipping container. You know, we were going to use a shipping container. Yeah. And um, and a lot of and that's a lot of people that have done pod type of uh, solutions uh, have gone down that route. So we actually got a uh, shipping container, you know, 40 mm-hmm. foot high, high, you know, 11 foot high. And we started kidding it out inside with our with our guts. Right. Uh-huh. And um, we did that for three months. We worked on it nonstop and we got about right at the end. And all the, and one day I'll never forget it. One day I'm sitting there and I'm with my 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 at the time yeah. and we're and we're. We're screwing in something, I don't know. And and I said, remember that the screw on this side, there's it's symmetricals, but the screw on this side is an eighth of an inch to the left of the screw on that side <laughs> or something. And at, at that moment, I I put down all my tools, I got down, I said, We're stopping for the day. In fact, we're stopping forever. <laughs> we're never going to do this. Okay. I don't care how much time we put into this because the whole point of a shipping container is that you would have some regularity. It's yeah, standard. Exactly. It's a standard, yeah. right, and and so that's you know from a manufacturing standpoint that's what you're looking for. Yeah. But in real life, though, it's different. Real life, these shipping containers are not standard. They're warped a little bit. You know, they've yeah. done trans Pacific crossings or something. Yeah. You know, and they're always just slightly warped, and so that meant that every single one was going to be a custom job. Yeah. And I thought this is insane. So I, this, this it defeats the like purpose. It God. God. So anyway, that yeah. was a that was a, so we had to start a fresh uh, design and we got on our CAD and and uh, and and created what we have now.
2: Yeah and so so you've got this this sort of modular system what is the intention or what's the strategy in terms of who would benefit or or what growers would use this how would they use it like when are there optimal points in terms of grow size or types of grows that would be you know most beneficial or how do you when you look at the market in terms of where you want to place or you know your perfect customer and the perfect situation tell us a little bit about some of those
3: trade-offs and where are you really seeing this kind of product being used sure so i'll start with the problem we're trying to solve. The problem we're trying to solve is how do you bring manufacturing best practices to uh, commercial cultivation? Mm-hmm. Okay. So instead of having, you know, instead of every grow being a bespoke build out that, how can you begin to actually standardize production? And we're, we're equipment, right? We're like a combine to a farmer, right all we are we're, we're no better than the inputs that that people that you know that people use right So what we wanted what we wanted to do was was provide to growers a means of for them to ply their trade mm-hmm. um, in a way that is going to be predictable at any scale okay because again once you have the widget perfected, right you're talking at the you know your, your actual, operating your operations in terms of, of plant management is actually happening at a smaller scale and you're just repeating that over and over again in, in a predictable way. So having said that, what' were, who you know this is applicable to to really any grower that is struggling with either inconsistent operations mm-hmm. or actually better yet people that want to expand but they don't want to spend $200 a square foot anymore like they did before to build more capacity, right? So this actually, this kind of mirrors the, the blade server, the Amazon web service type of model where yeah. you're, you're incrementally increasing capacity as you see fit as opposed to making huge bets on facilities that if they're not cost effective, you know, you're going to be in some trouble.
2: Yeah, no. So, I, so it's interesting. I, I like the you know kind of Amazon Blade or the um, AWS kind of model. Is that basically you just you you can incrementally build out your grow using these modules rather than having rather than having to do a you know, hundred thousand square foot facility at once. You can just say, hey, look, I'm I'm going to add incrementally to so that, and I can actually decrease incrementally as well. Sure,
3: sure, yeah. So because again, I'm going back to this this idea of these monolithic grows, yeah. you know you know, beyond just, I mean, there's so much risk involved with that, right? Uh, I mean, You get a contaminant in those grows, you lose the grow. I mean, you cannot lose a grow in this business, right? It's the cardinal sin. And so risk management becomes a big deal. And then, you know, and just efficiency, again, is not, is not been, you know, you go to a grower and you say, Hey, what do you think about efficiency? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, but my bud looks great. Check it out. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's part of it is, you know, just trying to get people to get out of the scaled up basement grow model and actually start to look at this in terms of how do you do large-scale manufacturing?
2: Yeah. And um, what are the selling these units, leasing these units? How are you dealing with the kind of the economics of, you know, working with the growers on providing this the
3: solution? Yep. So that's the other kind of cool part about this is that we also realize that capital is getting scarcer nowadays uh, for the cannabis industry, yeah. especially startup capital. And really for good reason, because if you look at the earlier, the pioneers, who built these huge facilities and now are sitting dormant I mean even the, even the largest Canadian companies are, are shutting, shutting down production you know sh- I mean that it's all because of inefficiency, frankly um, it's not because people stopped wanting their marijuana <laughs> yeah, exactly demand didn't change <laughs> right yeah. so something else screwed up down the line right and so it, you know so capital is not is not as easy to come by so we have a leasing model so that it allows for more people of more diversity to be able to get started and not only get started faster um, and with less capital but also immediately puts them at the head of the pack in terms of cost efficiency right so their production costs they're going to be they're going to be just as as competitive if not more than someone who spent 10 million dollars on a facility
2: yeah I mean you really change <laughs> you really remove the kind of the barrier of entry or the cost of entry uh, I'm sure some of these people that have you know invested millions in these grow facilities probably are not happy that there's an option for these people to just enter the market at a, at a much lower <laughs> capital cost
3: well, it's not- too late, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: And, and where it's a, give me a sense of where you kind of see future innovation in your product. And I'm, I'm sure as you've kind of developed this and you put it to market, you've collected more data, you have more kind of, you know, f- feedback and insight where, what are some of the things that you're looking to incorporate or innovate on in terms of where the product is now?
3: Yeah. Great question. So, you know, we're always looking to increase the numerator, right? Which is the production, right? How mm-hmm. much more can we squeeze out of this thing? Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things we can do to uh to affect that and we're just scratching the surface frankly i'll I'll give you a great example the very first grow we did 480 plants okay Mm -hmm. Um, and that was fine but that was also very labor intensive right so well that's that's we're helping our numerator but not our 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 denominator our costs are are still um, a little bit um a little bit high what would happen if we if we cut the plants and i mean if we just had did half the plants so the next row, we did 240 plants. Guess what? Hardly any drop-off in production, right? Plants just got twice as big. Interesting. Same canopy, right? But then you, you cut labor, uh, you know, I don't know if it's cut in half, but you substantially l- lower it, right?
2: Got it, because you'd have less plants to tend to over the same over the same volume and the same production quality or same production exactly. quantity.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Other things that we're, that we're looking into is really getting into plant physiology, right? For instance... Can you shorten a plant's day, right? Mm Because listen, here's a dirty secret. Plants can't take all that light, right? All these, the whole bigger, brighter, more powerful plants, that's not how life works. That's not how-
2: They can only, yeah, they can only absorb so much. Right. Interesting.
3: So every photon beyond what they can absorb in a day is wasted energy and cost, Mm -hmm. right? So- there's an avenue there that perhaps instead of getting five harvests a year, maybe you get six or seven if you can figure out how to get how to shorten a day, quote unquote. There, there's another angle you can go at, and there's and there's a lot, and then you know, and then just kind of the you know we have this kind of perfect. I say perfect. I'm like a, you know, I'm, like a, I'm like a father. Yeah. But anyway, you have this, you have this pretty good um, test bed, right? Because it's a standard test bed. So you uh-huh. you start to do very interesting experiments with lighting, with nutrients, with you know all that sort of stuff. And we pack. And you know, the, where the innovation is going to lie with this product is really the data we're collecting from it, right? Because again, once you perfect the widget, then you just perfect it. A million times. You know, you you just repeat that a million times. Yeah. That's how you get your that's how you can get the Ferrari quality at Ford scale.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, everyone
3: thinks there's a everything thinks there's a there's always a trade-off between quantity and quality. Why? Botany doesn't forbid it, right? Maybe your maybe your grow methods prevent it. But if you can figure that out, why not have the best of both worlds? So data analysis, you know, and I know everybody's big data and things yeah. like that, but honestly speaking, like there just hasn't been enough data being collected, frankly, especially in cannabis, to really figure out how it is that not only can we be more productive, but how can we exploit other properties of this plant you know that, that, can, that can help people and be confident that we can do that again, we can commercialize that and make it at a manufacturing level.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Kyle, This has been a pleasure. I mean, uh, some really fascinating (laughs) of technology, innovation, thinking around how to how to kind of rethink the whole kind of grow process and the um, kind of cultivation side. If people want to find out more about you, about more about STEM, what's the best way to get that information?
3: Sure. uh, So go to STEMcultivation.com is our website. S-T-E-M-C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-I-O-N.com. You can always email me directly at Kyle, K-Y-L-E, at STEM cultivation.com uh, and you can even call me i know this is crazy but you can call me 339-223-5790
2: i love it i'll put all those in the show notes so people can click through and call through and get that information get in touch with you thanks so much for taking the time today like i said i, I love this side of it i love the innovation side i love your background in architecture i think they have mentioned on the podcast i was an architect originally so i love the kind of application of design thinking to this and it's, it's really it's been a great conversation i really appreciate your time
3: thank you so much bruce it was so great to be here thank you